was a dark and stormy night Nor'easter rolling in It's a long 12 hours The power's out again I pray for inner strength And that we don't lose no lives Just another day In the first responder's eyes Half a cup of coffee's gone run comes in a car slid off the road there's a family trapped within my heart beats like a hammer i can barely catch my breath i'm thinking the worst and hoping for the best And the first on every scene It's a heavy, heavy burden To carry all this burden When you can't unsee the things you've seen It keeps going on When those sirens are gone Welcome to another episode of the Making a Difference Mad Radio Show here in Fishbowl Radio Network Studios, broadcasting you live from Globe Life Park, the heart of Arlington Entertainment's district, man. I am here with my co-host, Sam Horowitz. Hey, hey. Hey, hey, man. It's it's our first day back in the studio. We've had um, a rough couple of weeks, and thank to uh, the Fishbowl staff for getting us back in here. When we first came into the studio, it smelled like it was a bleach bomb, bomb went off. <laughs> they disinfected everything. So thank you, Fishbowl, for doing what you're doing to keep our all our hosts um, safe from this COVID-19. Uh, once again, this is our, your first responder network, man. We are here to always look out for our first responders' mental health, um, to back you up, to make sure that your voices are being heard in every aspect of your your job performance. Uh, myself, I am a retired New York City detective, if you don't know that, and Sam is retired Secret Service. So together, collectively, we bring about 30 to 40 years of first responder experience to uh, the table. So Sam, uh, once again, you've always, it's been a pleasure to have you as a co-host, and you, you've been bringing on some great guests for uh, the mental health aspect of our first responders. Who do we got coming in today? Oh, we are calling, uh, calling, yeah, calling in, calling in, because we're still uh, still doing this remotely. We have got uh, Dr. Sarah and I. Please excuse me. I'm going to get clarification on her name. I believe it's Janky. Uh, she is the director and senior scientist of the Center for Fire Rescue and EMS Health Research at the National Development and Research Institute USA Incorporated. Woo, mouthful. Well, that was a mouthful, uh, man. Yeah, well, <laughs> basically, um, you know, I came across um, uh, Doc's research online, and uh, it's going to be a really awesome conversation because a lot of the research, this is brand new to come out, and it's kind of like, there's some controversy around it, so woohoo! Regarding you know, gonna, what? Regarding gonna, what? Well, it's um, it's a therapy protocol uh, called rumination, and 
it, it's we'll let her we're gonna let <laughs> we're gonna let the doc explain exactly Excellent. what it is um uh, but it hasn't been always uh it's not always looked at as a positive thing okay um well uh, like me and her, you yeah the study that she's gonna bring forward talks about how uh, in some cases it is. So this was very interesting when I started doing research and being like, hmm, Excellent. wait, I thought it, this was bad. <laughs> no, no, but it brings another aspect to the point of mental health because we've always discussed, you know, sometimes couch, a therapy couch is not a place for somebody to be mentally evaluated. Sometimes it takes, you know, EMDR, EMRD, uh, EMDR. Yeah, yeah, um, right the first well, <laughs> Or um, it takes, uh, you know, hiking or kayaking to really get your mind centered sometimes what works for one person doesn't work for the other so you know let's keep an open mind about this therapy and and let's listen to it because it may help and may make a difference in some first responders lives out there we'll see you know we we'll will see. see um you know i also want to give a shout out to uh county tyrant county sheriff bill wayburn and fort worth uh police officer lisa Ramsey, who joined us on that Zoom meeting the other day, mm -hmm. um, we, me and Sam are now hosting uh, Mental Health Monday for our first responders um, through our Zoom call because the pandemic is really affecting a lot of our uh, state, you know, a lot of our first responders. I mean, they're overwhelmed with um, fatigue and the hours and, and this, just the things that they're seeing. So Sh Sheriff Weyburn joined us. We're so happy to have him on. And he... Man, I would love to have that man as a boss. I would work for that You're man. I would work for that man for free because to to hear him speak about the passion he has for the job, for the proactivity that he brings forth. And you know, we always say it starts at the top. Mm -hmm. Right? Yep, and he's the top. Yep. He's the top. And man, he looks out for his officers, right? I I I was so pleasantly surprised i hate to say that uh, well because you, you don't you really see that in, right everything's in reaction mode but the the forethought and the proactivity and all of the steps and the protocols that he has in place and has from the minute this thing became a thing right uh he is really on the on leading yeah uh, the front lines in a protecting his folks uh, against this because let's face it you know when you're running a jail yeah it's pretty crazy if, you know, it, if it breaks out and I, you know I'm, I read every day I was like why are why are we letting people out of prison because uh, they're committing crimes and that's not helping the situation right just and, saying and, <laughs> and you know he's got so much and he's bringing all this proactivity to to stop his office but he had a general concern for the inmates he had yes. a heart for the inmates, man. Yeah. He had a general concern about, you know, their health. And, you know, like you said, you do not see some some people are at the top, you know, uh, chiefs of police, uh, chiefs of fire departments. They don't want to be bothered with the stuff. They kind of push that stuff down to their, you know, their underlings, right? Mm -hmm. Not not Sheriff Weyburn, man. He wants to be involved. He want, He's calling officers at home and checking on their families. Now that is that's just somebody who deserves that position, and that's why Tarrant County is where it's at because you have leaders like that. You have true leaders. Absolutely. And then you have For Lisa sure. Ramsey, right? Yeah, she, what, she's what, an inspiration. We're going to get her in here. 
because you want to talk about a true story of overcoming uh, her odds and what she has been through and to, to be on the job as somebody who is paralyzed from the chest down. Yes, yep. I said still on the job. Yeah. Uh, so we're going to get her in studio um, to talk about her how she you know processed everything and and uh, how she used her experience to really inspire and, and touch others. And I mean, that's what Making a Difference Mad yeah. Radio is all about. And, you know, if you are listening and you are a first responder or family of a first responder, please let them know that every Monday until further notice, we are hosting uh, Mental Health Mondays. Yep. And we uh, have great time everybody that showed up uh we, we it's all over facebook we put it out there on social we had media a, a new jersey ems uh mm-hmm. representative yep. you know came on he brought in a good you know stuff from the east coast which was good stuff that we may have not never heard of yeah so what know? i'm doing is i am posting the zoom link yes um so uh so everybody knows the zoom link will be posted on a badge of that's a the letter a badge of uh, our homepage, and you will need a password uh, to access that. And as it gets closer, um, that password will be made available, yep. but not not right off the right, right not right, right, off the right on the outset. Yeah, yeah, because Zoom is great, but um, you know, Zoom is <laughs> we don't get hijacked. <laughs> you know, it's and, happening. And with Lisa, you know, Lisa reminds me of um, member Stephen McDonald. He was the New York City police officer back in uh, 1984 or 86. He was a Central Park police officer who got shot in the neck by two uh, under, underage underage kids, um, and he was paralyzed from the neck down, but continued to stay on the job, and he shared his, his story of uh, how he dealt with it, how he dealt with the traumas, and what he did to not let that um, impairment take over his life and Lisa is the same way she has uh forged forward and just you know where other people would have given up and quit she she keeps her perseverance and keeps moving forward yeah it's a blessing it's such a blessing you know um but we've met so many of these people through this show we and we continue to meet people that you know either prove us wrong on one level because we like wow that was amazing how you did that and they show us that, you know, there's just, there's no, there's no reason to give up. Well, there's, it, uh, there's also, they show us there's no boundaries. There's, there's no boundaries, no, yeah. It's, it, the boundaries are self-created things. And, man, th- just every day what they do to just get prepared <laughs> to go out into the world, I mean, we, we, uh, we have it easy. And uh, I, I, always, I always say, you know, <laughs> Look at these people's stories if you're complaining about something. Right. And, well, you think about it, too. You know, and uh, when we look at Lisa, you know, we can get up. I can get up, I can walk out of my living room, go into my kitchen, grab something to drink, get out the door, go open a garage, get in my car, go to 7-Eleven, go to Albertsons, go to Kroger, run in, pick up a, a, a half gallon of milk, and come home. Right? And I get all that done in 15 minutes. Right? For her now, yeah. that's a three, four, five-hour exhausting job just to go to, the, to yeah. the grocery store. Yeah, they're definitely you know? uh, being part of uh, veteran service organizations and exp- you know, having a lot of experience with uh, wheelchair athletes in, mm-hmm. in some arenas. Well, Steve Aren't, does a lot of this stuff with yeah. 
and understanding right. what when they open their eyes in the morning what their mornings look like and you're right it's hours hours right you know and someone brought into perspective not too long ago and i i forgot where i read it i either read it on the internet or i saw it on a news channel when we talked about be, all these people hoarding the toilet paper and hoarding <laughs> the food well uh, hoarding yeah. the meat and hoarding the yeah. food you know and they they brought up um the elderly and it, and uh the people that don't drive their cars, they end up taking public transportation to this grocery store. And when we're in this pandemic, we think about how easy it is to just jump in our car, go to the store, and we can load it up. We can load up everything into our trunks and into our back seats. But, you know, you have elderly per people out there that, you know, either have to take public transportation or it's a, really it's a chore for them to get into their car and drive to the grocery store. And, and we've all seen them. We've all seen those people walking across the parking lot. They're moving at a snail's play pace because they can't walk that fast. Or they're, you know, they have hip problems or leg problems, right? So it takes them 15, 20 minutes to even get from the parking lot into the store, right? right? By the time they get a cart and they get into the aisle that they got to get into, right? And then they find nothing there. Yeah. Can you imagine? You you. You're exhausted. You're you're in your late seventies, early eighties. You can't walk that well. You you know you, you travel to the store. You you're exhausted. You get it. Finally, get into the store to just go buy milk, and it's not there. It's gone. Yeah. You know that's got to be devastating for even our elderly who aren't handicapped. For sure. You know. For sure. Um, so let let's always you know keep in mind these people that. Uh, throughout the pandemic, how easy we have it, how blessed we are, you know, and that the people that are physically challenged or, or elderly, it's, it's a chore for them to get to that store. Think about that next time you see somebody walking across the parking lot at a, you know, at a snail space. And it really hasn't been difficult to, uh, you know, just do the stay at home thing and just go to the grocery store when, when you need right. to. I'm, I'm I mean, actually kind of enjoying it. It <laughs> drives me crazy. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, most, if I... Oh, hold I'll on. tell you. I think this, this is Doc calling in. Hi. Welcome to Mad Radio, Making a Difference Wednesday. You are on the air. Hi, this is Dr. Sarah Jenkins. How are you doing, Dr. Sarah Jenkins? How are you? Good, good. How are you? Thank you so much. Uh, I thank got you the name right. Uh, awesome. You did, I yes. Did. And I think I said it right, too. <laughs> you did. Thank you so much for calling in. Um, we really appreciate you taking the time out during, I mean, everything you got going on. Uh, Sam's right here. She has told me some wonderful, extraordinary things that you have um, completed, have you done for our first responder uh, community, and things that you have coming up. I, I don't like to be bored. So, yeah. <laughs> well, that's great. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, tell our listeners and um, how they can, you know. Well, tell, yeah, tell yeah. us how you, you uh, got started, you know, your, your schooling. Um, you look like, I, I'm going to compliment you. People tell me I look like I'm 18. You look like you're 12. <laughs> so, oh, I oh I thank got, you. I got, I, mean, I got her picture. Yeah, I forgot. Put her, I, put her picture I, up I got to put her picture up. And, uh, one second. Yeah, so, um, yeah, so you're, you're a PhD, you're a doctor, you went through all this schooling, and you are all over the Internet uh, right now on different social media platforms, really spearheading and talking about research out there, helping our first responder community. And we'll get into 
uh, the most recent um, study that you talked about on April 12th. But just tell everybody listening, you know, a little bit of, about you and how you got to be the director and senior scientists of the Center for Fire, et cetera, et cetera. Yes, um, quite by accident, honestly. I have <laughs> been doing this research for a little over a decade, but it's one of those stories where, like, this is not what I set out to do. Um, so my PhD is in psychology, and my when I started, I really wanted to do clinical work with um, with little kids, like play therapy and make a difference um, early on. And then I started working with kids, and um, I loved the kids, but I hated their parents, and I decided <laughs> I needed a different path. So <laughs> oh, that's a good one. <laughs> it, yeah, yeah. So. Um, but I had been, uh, at the time I was doing my graduate training and I was working on some research on um, military health and substance use in the military, mental health in the military. And around the time that I was finishing up my PhD, one of the assistants to the fire chiefs in Kansas City, Missouri, um, got in touch and we had lunch and he said, you know, what the fire service is really trying to do with the assistance to firefighter grants is ramp up the research that the military has. And, you know, the military has this, like, um, these amazing, um, very well-funded programs of research that um, have sustained a lot of researchers and really brought a lot of knowledge out. And so the fire service kind of wanted to start that on a smaller scale. Um, he thought I might be interested because I grew up around the fire service. Uh, Dad retired about, uh, gosh, now it's been, I look like I'm 12, but really I'm 40. And he retired when I was in college from as chief of Overland Park Fire Department out right outside of Kansas City and um, bought a company that sells fire training towers. And so he stayed in that community, but um, started with folks that he uh he knew and that I knew through him just growing up and a lot of fire chiefs in Kansas city that were pretty well connected into the national that could sit down with me over lunches and dinners and walk me through what they saw as research needs. So um, did that and work with some awesome folks who have amazing stats and methods backgrounds. And so I still work on their military stuff. They work on a lot of fire service stuff and um, it just really kind of started from there. I mean, the, the field, if you look at like the history of firefighter health research, um, I was one time having a conversation with Billy Goldfeder, and he said, you know, the research that's been done in the last 10 yeah. years has eclipsed the I've, research I, done. Um, I've worked with Billy Goldfeder. <laughs> I've, I've yeah. worked a couple well, times so with you, Yeah, with uh, close. So you know, sometimes he just makes stuff up. Close calls. <laughs> he makes yeah. stuff up. Okay. Yes. Yeah, and sometimes they'll throw some, some stuff out, and I say that with all the love in the world, but he'll say something like that, and I'm like, is that true? Like. <laughs> Is he giving us too much credit? But it's true. I went and looked, and it was actually, it's like 68% of the hits on PubMed from Firefighter Health, on Firefighter, anything Firefighter related in the medical literature is the last 10 years, really. Mm. So, like, really awesome time to get involved in it. And um, just, you know, I, I would like to say that it's for totally selfless reasons that, you know, I just want the fire service to be healthier. But really, like, Billy asked me to do a chapter in the uh, new Pass It On Mm -hmm. and and it was like what do you want to tell a fire service and so it was kind of a little bit of soul searching like why do I do this what motivates me um and it really is like there are things that I wish that things that I've seen with my dad in the fire service and out of the fire service that you know he's had a couple heart attacks he's had cancer Mm -hmm. um like what do I wish he had known when I was 10 years old and what things would I do I wish he would have changed fortunately he's still with us and I want to keep him with us as long as possible but um, I want to keep them with us as long as possible. So of it's kind of, yes. it's all kind of 
goes back to my dad, dedicated to my dad. Well, Sarah, you think about you think about you think about the fire service back then, because I, I I retired as as a fire chief at a Farmingdale, uh, New York, and uh, I did I did uh, twenty three years in the fire service, and that's how I know uh, uh, Billy and um, my one of my my first cousin is Vincent Dunn. I don't know if you heard of him with the FDNY. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. so when we, you know, I joined the fire service back in 85 and, you know, a big thing that we talk when you talk about cancers and stuff, when we talk about the foam, you know, just, the the, no. the foam that's going, that they, we used back then, um, the A triple F foam, the cancers that are coming out now, uh, in the fire service just due to that, um, yeah. And, you know, back then, and your dad will tell you that uh, if you wore a Scott Pack back in 85, you, were, uh, you weren't a snot-slinging firefighter. You had to come out of that fire, you know, snot out of your nose, black, coming out, coughing up, grab a cigarette, and sit on the back of the, the truck. That's what made oh, a firefighter. Yeah, days, <laughs> <right>. <laughs> <laughs> That's what made a firefighter, you know. You got to come out of that fire looking black and smoky and, you know, weathered. Um, but now we know now, now due to your research and due to a lot of research that we see out there, you know, the health effects back then, we didn't, we didn't, you know, we didn't look at the health effects on our first responders, uh, physically or, or mentally, you know, 20 years ago. Now it's catching up with us. Yeah, it, it is. And I, and it is catching up at the same time. Like I, sometimes they tell me I'm too Pollyannish about it, but um, I appreciate how much there is talk about it. And maybe people are just talking to me about it because that's what I'm interested in. And it's that whole, like, what is the saying? If, if you're a hammer, everything's a nail. Um, but I do hear people talking about it. And I see, like, you know, the ads that um, that are out there now for gear. It's not a filthy firefighter. It's often a clean firefighter. Or there's sometimes even, dare I say, women in their advertisements. Um, like, I think it takes time to change but i feel like this is i feel like there is a lot of push in that area now and so i'm you know eternally optimistic that that it's changing you know i think a lot of what you just described if you did that today and not all departments there are departments that it's still the norm but there are a lot of departments where that would not be acceptable and that's amazing you know when when i uh when i first joined the fire service and i was back in 1985 uh, we had a pair of rubber boots, um, a jacket, and a leather helmet, which now, go, you wear a leather helmet, it's, it's so taboo because it holds all the hazardous materials. It can't be cleaned. So, yeah. you know, you're putting that on your head day after day after day after day. You know, the, the carcinogens that are in the smoke and, you know, they just lay in your helmet and your gear. And you never washed your gear. Ask your, ask your dad if he ever washed his fire helmet. You never, <laughs> you, my God, you would never wash your fire helmet. <laughs> Oh no, no. no. Well, and is, uh, when he once he was chief, he just always carried it in the back of his um, Ford Explorer. Yeah, and so his, yep. his it always smelled like smoke <laughs> in there. Yep. So, yeah. At the time, I was like, "Oh, that's cool," you know. And now I'm like, "Oh my god!" Right. <laughs> See, and at the time, you you said exactly what everybody else says. Oh man, that's cool. And that and you know and that was that was the way of life back then. And then you know, then we look at. Um, you know, I don't. I don't actually think we started looking at firefighter cancers. 
until really after 9-11. I was just going to say, it's, it really yeah. has been uh, the research, uh, everything, you know, the big, I'll call it whoopsie kind of, it was more like a screw you with the whole, you don't need to wear a mask. Right. I mean, I, I was down there, I coughed for a year. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm not a, was not a firefighter. I was down there as a you know first responder doing my job. And 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 these guys day after day after day. And yeah, there wasn't anything that really started. Not not even right after 9/11 when the first story started to break about the air quality and mm -hmm. that hey we should pay attention mm -hmm. maybe get some chest X-rays. And then it seemed like a little bit of time. There was a time lag again yep. where nothing was to try to get about. it passed. And then boom, everyone's like, why can't I stop coughing? Why do I have asthma? Uh, what do you mean I have cancer? And then, and now it's all over the place. And let's lump, you know, PTS in there because, uh, you know, when you talk about stress, we, we, we got to lump in all the, uh, the heart attacks, mm -hmm. the increase in uh, cholesterol levels, uh, our, our folks not having access to mental health um, treatment for whatever reason. Um, and, and now on a daily basis, you can go, uh, on the World Wide web mm -hmm. and you can really find, uh, a ton of studies. And I'm just in the interest of time, uh, doc, I would love to dive into, um, the most recent thing that came out, which I love the title of this. It's, uh, for COVID-19 from post-traumatic stress to post-traumatic growth. Uh, fantastic article and, and you've uh, written uh, you've written hey Sammy <laughs> you've written uh, another article as well I, I saw today um, but this caught my eye because as, as John and I we both have our post-traumatic stress uh, journeys here and we both have been through uh, different therapy protocols uh, as I was reading this, you know, there was something, there's something that uh, came up, this word called rumination. And the uh, thing that you talk about is a 2019 study, uh, which is predicting post-traumatic growth among firefighters, the role of deliberate rumination and problem-focused coping. I'm like, I love it. But wait a second, <laughs> this rumination <laughs> thing. Okay, um, so I started digging, 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 digging. That's what I do, and and rumination has has not such a great history uh, with specifically post traumatic stress. And I'll just read a, a, you know excerpts of a couple of things that I came across about rumination. First, it's considered a type of cognitive avoidance strategy uh, that, when utilized, can perpetuate post-traumatic stress symptoms, that's not good. That doesn't sound very good. And individuals with post-traumatic stress have reported that rumination triggers intrusive thoughts and memories more frequently than individuals who have experienced trauma without uh, developing post-traumatic stress. And on top of that, uh, you know, you've got a negative appraisal strategies include uh, ruminations with feeling of guilt, and self-blame and this maladaptive emotion regulation forms a feedback loop to further influence the perception of the trauma and exacerbate 
uh, the symptoms of post-traumatic stress. Lot, lots of uh, the oh exacerbation. They even have a I'm chart. I'm full. I am full. I'm full. Okay. I just had a I whole know, meal. I know. I think I'm blowing people up here. <laughs> but they even have a chart like connected to one of these studies with uh, it, it looks like an explosion in, in the middle of it. And it, it talks about, you know, be, that rumination being maladaptive. So I, I'm just playing that, that card because that's kind of when I was going through post-traumatic stress, you know, these, these studies are older. And I was like, rumination? No, what the heck? <laughs> so let's uh, please educate us because this study is fascinating and tell us how because we got a lot of people that have a lot of experience with post-traumatic stress either they have it themselves or they know somebody with it tell us how the role of deliberate rumination and problem-focused coping is is a of great assist to us so i'll be honest your response to that is the reason i picked that article to highlight because I had the same response where I'm like, rumination, that's, that sounds stupid. Maybe we have the wrong concept or the wrong right. construct. Um, and, and, but it was interesting when I started thinking about it, because, you know, I, I, when I talked to the editor, she said, you know, we're doing anything on COVID. I know you've got the behavioral health stuff. Is there anything you can think of? And if there was already a lot of talk about, like, managing the stress of it in terms of, you know, preventing post-traumatic stress. But I've had a lot of people challenge me on kind of the opposite of, of post-traumatic stress. I mean, we see, yes, there are instances, particularly like post 9-11, um, post Oklahoma City bombing, high rates of post-traumatic stress injuries among first responders. But the fact that like overall, when we do like population-based studies, the fact that first responders and firefighters show up to everyone's worst day and more of them aren't just like obliterated by it, that they can, that they have these like positive adaptive coping mechanisms that, that they actually love their job when their job is to respond to dead people. I think talks a lot about like the, like this resilience and growth in um, that firefighters that I think the job pulls for. And so when I read that article, I was like, man, I've never thought of rumination in that way. But the way that authors talk about it is they really talk about it as not the traditional rumination, but like as a purposeful rumination. So I kind of like to think of it as um, uh, as not running from your problems. So, like, if it's bothering you, it's not the rumination. It's you know they don't define it as a rumination where like it's intrusive thoughts and you just can't get rid of it. It's more of like a being thoughtful and mindful about what is going on and thinking thinking through it and and coping with it and making sure that you realize like when you are struggling or something's bothering you or I mean this is a hard. This pandemic is hits first responders hard in so many different ways, right? I mean, it's mm-hmm. just like seriously unprecedented in the history. Um, I mean, even the pandemic of, of 1918 was, didn't have the fire service set up that the way the fire service is today. So it's never been responded to in this way it, it, and required what this pandemic is requiring of firefighters. So I think um, it, it's a it's a time that can be incredibly stressful and there's you have layer on top of that the you know the family stress of it i was talking to a chief today but you know it's so weird i'll have firefighters that'll show up and not want to go in on a scene because it's a possible COVID. 
But these are the same people that I can put in a, in a hazmat suit and say, if you go inside and breathe even a tiny bit of this mm. air, it could kill you. And they're like, oh, yeah, scoop me up. I'm going in. I'm good. You know, I, where do you want me? <laughs> right. Um, but, Sarah, let me, can I ask you a right? question? Can I, can I, let me ask you a question on yeah. that. We, you know, when we talk about this pandemic and we talk about the stresses and we talk about, you know, um, every first responder is able to overcome and adapt. And that's because most of them run on adrenaline. Right. So, yeah. you know, when, when we're doing our jobs and our coping mechanisms are good until they're not good, you know, until they're until we're yeah, in our exactly. own mind. And that's the isolation aspect of pandemic. Now we are not out with others. We are in our own mind at our homes. But fatigue, I think, is playing a big role as well in our in our um, first responders stress level right now, because. They are, you know, someone who's been used to working eight hours is now mandated to work 12. Instead of working three days, you're working five or seven days. and Which is what is 12, sorry. Right, it's right. really by the time all yeah. is said and done at 15. Yes. And, and you know, the, yeah. the, the, the toll that it's taking on, the, the physical uh, mo- fatigue is setting in on our first responders that our brains can't cope with stuff. And now we're going to be making poor judgments. So, you know, when you say a firefighter is like, I'm not going to go in, um, I, I can't suit up for that COVID, because now, you know, he's fearing that he's going to bring that home. Well, is it that they've right. reached the point of overwhelm <coughs> as well? well it, it, because you take on the lack of sleep, you know, which you, I mean, I'm, I'm, I was like the poster child for that. Right. It, it, you know, I couldn't think. But I'll look at, look at it look at it on my aspect as a firefighter, right? Right. And as a hazmat technician, okay. When she just brought up you you look you suit up in a level A suit, you know, and your your guy says, hey, if you even have a, a pinhole in your suit, you're gonna die, yeah, right? But you do it, okay? But I'm gonna do it, right? But then you talk about the COVID, yeah, right? Right? And, and my, oh no, I'm not I'm not gonna die, but I, I can cross contaminate and bring that back to my to my, my wife and kids. Right. So if so, I die, yeah, there's okay. a big stress yeah. there. I'm yeah. sorry. <laughs> it, it, it's yeah. just, it, no, I mean, that's the thing, though, is like this is an animal that you ju- just hasn't been seen before. And so, of course, it's it. Of course, it's incredibly stressful. There's the stress of and the stress of like a lot of departments are trying to socially distance with the firefighters. So you don't have that like, you know, set down around the uh, the kitchen table, which we know is so protective for firefighters, just kind of that camaraderie. So a lot of them don't have that, um, you know, different firefighters have to court all that kind of stuff and that you brought up sleep yeah if you yeah. want i so the more i've been reading up on sleep i was challenged to uh to kind of become familiar with that literature and how it affects fire service i, I am now convinced that sleep underlies and overlies most of the health issues that are in the fire service mm-hmm. and exacerbates them if you want to be scared straight on your sleep read the book by um Dr. Walker, I'm going to say, no, what's his first name? I can't remember his first name, but Dr. Walker is his last name. It's a book called Why We Sleep, and um, it's the most amazing book, and it walks you through everything from how sleep affects uh, mental health to how it affects cognition, memory, and I think even like that working those long shifts and that being tired and not being able, able to shut your mind off, I think all of that is exacerbated by not being able to sleep because of the way that memories are kept. You know, you right. you both remember and forget based on how your sleep is, and that process in your mind goes. Um, it, you know, is it, it, it your mind decides what to remember and what to forget while you're sleeping, 
And I think the interruption of that, I mean, um, the uh, World Health Organization has now classified shift work as a class one carcinogen, like it, because it just so messes up your body. So I think that on top of, um, on top of everything else, I mean, it's just, and there, and then there's just so many unknowns. Right. And do, you know, do there, we, have we ever done so a sleep study on our first responders? I mean, a really, uh. Um, in-depth sleep study on our first responders, uh, they're probably not getting the, I mean, even before the pandemic, I'm sure they weren't getting the proper sleep. And now I'm sure most of them uh, are getting no sleep, not, not, not good rest, not good REM sleep anyway. Yeah, yeah. Which can well, cause and, to and underlying then, problems. Yeah, I, well, I mean, just call volume and then, you know, even being home. And, and being home has... You know, being stuck at, you know, the stay at home, I appreciate that, but that that comes with problems. That's not, Mm -hmm. you know, without stress in terms of, you know, family stress. And that's a lot of time to spend um, with the same people all the time. I mean, I love my family. They're not listening to this, so I can say there are (laughs) some days that drive me insane. Um, And my job is just, you know, my day-to-day job is sitting at a computer and and, and, uh, it's not really, I mean, deadlines and stuff like that, but nowhere near what, what fire service folks face. And then, you know, how does that work if you have um, kids back and forth with shared custody? I mean, just like the whole, it's just a disaster in terms of um, stressors for, for first responders. And, but that's where I think you get, you know, on the, going back to the post-traumatic growth, I think um, the other beauty of this is, of situations like this, is that there really is an opportunity for growth. And to kind of like reassess when they talk about post-traumatic growth as a construct, the idea is like that you take a a stressful opportunity and you use it to, you know, reassess and reprioritize your life, um, you know, grow from it and use it for kind of purposeful. But I, and I think that. Kind of like this radio show. Yeah, (laughs) kind of like what we're doing with the radio and then our badge of honor. Yeah. Yeah. Using, using, I I always say that. You know, there was a reason that uh, I didn't pull the trigger, uh, you know, in my basement and that uh, I could bear the scars of, of 9-11 and everything that I went through to help others. Right. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. And I can only imagine, I, you know, I've obviously not been in your shoes and so appreciate the work both of you have done and, and the, your dedication to this issue and your service. Um but probably to get where you are at today has taken a lot of time thinking through everything, like your priorities in life and your, you know, how you're going to manage things and how you're going to positively impact the world around you. I mean, these things unfortunately don't just cure themselves without a lot of kind of thought and and awareness and mindfulness about it. Well, mine mine started out with how are we going to get out of bed today? Right. You know, but I gotta say, we were blessed. Our, our 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 paths crossed, and mm-hmm. I and I believe that is where what's put us here. And you know, not everybody is as blessed as you know our network of people um, to have crossed paths with those right that right person in their life. Um, you know, they're you, they may cross it with an addiction, somebody who's mm-hmm. who's a very addictive personality, where you know that's gonna. You know, it's going to make the PTSD even worse. Well, you that's know, how here, works. here at least we we're able to heal each other. We know yeah. what's going through each other's minds sometimes. But when you have a, a person, a law enforcement, firefighter, uh, 
who is battling some sort of uh, post-traumatic stress. And then he goes to the bar and he hooks up with a, a, a meth dealer. You know, the, mm. his inhibitions are down. So now, we, you know, his addictions are, are going to start going out of control or whatever method he uses. It could be a poor, poor judgment on that aspect. So, mm. you know, we're just scratching the surface. I, I believe we're just scratching the surface 20 years after 9-11 uh, on the PTSI aspect. We're still learning so many different treatments and, and theories and because um, everybody's an individual. Everybody's brain works differently. And, Doc, you said in the beginning when yeah. you started talking, you, you, you used the word injury. And I just want to say, John, from, from John and I both, we so, so appreciate that because we, we do think it should be called post-traumatic stress injury. Uh, because of the so many people, not just us, that that we can live with it, but we've come back from it. We've done this post-traumatic uh, growth, if you will, and um, are using our experiences uh, in a positive way. And uh, I want to I want to touch back on this on this rumination thing real quick. In the in, I didn't get super deep into the the actual study. When when somebody would somebody use this as a treatment protocol, and if so, would the practitioner doing this treatment protocol? I mean, would they have to be trained specifically, or could it be done generally? If that is that a good question? So that's a great question, and and the way that the study did it was it didn't actually so it wasn't asking for any kind of treatment. They basically measured a whole bunch of variables about personality and how people cope. Um, the the uh, personality types they had I think a couple measures on resilience, and then they did um, basically where they looked at what was statistically related to these positive outcomes, and and so it wasn't actually a treatment, but it is similar to some of the treatments that you. Um, can effectively use for things like post-traumatic stress injuries. Um, and it's the, because, so what, so some of them that are, and you might've already covered this on the show, so totally stop me if you have, but anything from like the um, EMDR treatments, the prolonged exposure treatments, cognitive behavioral treatments, they all kind of have this underlying thread of you have to think through the processes. You have mm -hmm. to think through the experiences. You basically retrain your brain as, as the, what, those therapies are doing and the what they talk about in the in the um, purposeful rumination the concept of it is is not in terms of like a treatment or something that you would necessarily like purposely go in and find a practitioner to walk you through although in a lot of ways it is what therapy is this thoughtfully you know thinking purposely thinking about what's going on and how you're coping with it and how you're managing it um and and so i think that it's uh it, it, it is similar to what the treatments are for like a post-traumatic stress injury, but it's, it wasn't necessarily something that they went and sought out. It was just a way that they learned to cope with, with the world. And I think kind of the take home message of it is, you know, you can't, um, you can't hide from the stress of what's going on. You can't pretend it's just not stressful and you might feel like you can just put it away. My, one of my favorite, and, and tell me if this resonates with you, but one of my favorite examples of, um, mental health. And I've heard two kind of different variations on it from people I just have all the respect in the world for. But they talked about that all the calls, all your worst calls, all the good calls, like get filed away. The bad calls kind of get locked in your mind behind a door. They said, you know, you put the, you put a padlock on the door and, and it's, it's there, you know, it's there. 
you're careful who you give the key to. You don't open the door that often, but it's still there. And I loved that example because I think it, it, it gives a visual to what your brain does do, which is codes, all the shit that you see. I mean, it, it's in there. Um, and it's, I think you can't pretend like none of it bothers you. I think when you start thinking that none of it bothers you, that's kind of the danger. That's kind of the danger zone. Cause I think you, you know, it does affect you. The memories are built in different things are going to affect different people at different times for different reasons. And, and, and that's fine. I mean, it, there's nothing wrong with you if one specific call doesn't bother you, but I just don't think fire service and, and EMS and police, I don't think they can do what they do every day without it affecting you know, their worldview. Like you show up to everyone's worst day and you see them at their worst. But see, he, um, uh, I don't mean to cut you off, but I just want before I forget, because no. you, you, you're going down a road that I, I wanted to uh, hit on. You know, when you turn around and say it's it's not affecting, you know, the the firefighter or the police officer, the EMS guy, you know, they're, they're kind of putting it in the back of their brain. And that's when it becomes that invisible silent killer, because I know myself yeah. – 10 years before I was diagnosed uh, with post-traumatic stress um, because I would lock everything down and I kind of, like you said, it doesn't, it, my emotion, my emotional aspect in life really became so jaded that I did, I started not caring and it almost got to the point where it was too late. And like I said, thank God I was blessed that there were people around me to get me out of that. But Right now, our, our first responders are going through that, and we can't we can't let them hold that down. We can't let them say pretend it doesn't bother them, because it's gonna come out and it's gonna rear its ugly head at the worst time of their life, and that's too late. Yeah, one of the things, yeah. Doc, that you said and uh, that what you shared did, did absolutely resonate with me. I heard a, a different variation on it from a, a veteran that talked about you know putting everything in the, in the locker and then you've got the padlock mm -hmm. and then eventually it's so full that when you go to close the lid it won't close <coughs> well that, that lock's gonna break yeah <laughs> and that and that's when we have that so now it won't close and we're trying everything we can to just you know let me get a bigger lock let me see what i can do and stuff starts leaking out and i think uh, you know, I'll speak for, for me, you know, I tried to compartmentalize everything. And first of all, first responders, we are, I will say we are the worst <laughs> because of our level of training, which, you know, supersedes mm -hmm. human beings in, in most uh, of the workforce. We believe falsely that we can fix everything, including ourselves. And it's until you're, you're, you're faced no. with this, <laughs> right? So until you're faced with your locker, uh, overflowing and you know I had the the leakage and the overflow uh, that I tried to stop and man if I smelled concrete burning it, the mm. olfactory for me was like woof yeah I, I don't I don't see it I, I, I see I don't have a PhD um, but Neither do I. <laughs> but I mean I, I that's why I'm I just turn around and say I, I look at it as the robot syndrome you know we're, we're trained, we're geared, we have that, we're cut from that cloth that makes everybody f feel like a robot where all we have to do is just reset and we, you know, everything is gone. Adapt. But, you know, right. and adapt. Like reset, so adapt, we're, we're, yeah. we're trained like robots 
to, to have no emotional side, to make sure that nothing bothers us, to keep forging on, to keep going, to keep going, to keep going, to keep going, and that we just plug in and reset every night. And that, you know, we get that mentality inside of us, and that's not who we are. We're human beings with living human parts <laughs> that, that break down. And, um, you know. Well, it, it's incredibly adaptive to be able to do that, right? Right. Like, if mm-hmm. you did break down at every call that someone, you know, died and you were pulling them out of a car every time. I mean, you, then you couldn't do the job. So it's, it is adaptive. until, like you said, it, 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 it works until it doesn't, it is adaptive until it's, until it's not. Um, so what makes, so what makes, so what makes a firefighter, what makes a firefighter or EMS or see when you say we don't break down at every call. And I love that expression. We don't break down at every call, right? Cause we hold it in. But you know what? If a cop gets shot, yeah. if a cop gets shot, a firefighter dies in a line of duty, or or an EMS uh, personnel yeah. gets hit by a car out on a roadway, and and his brothers and sisters show up, guess what? We cry, right? We cry for them. Yeah. But we won't cry. We won't cry for the cardiac arrest. We won't cry for the baby that drowned. We won't cry for the burn victim. We won't cry for the shooting victim. But we will cry for our own. How does our bodies? Yeah. How do our bodies do Brains. that? Yeah. How do our brains work like that? That to me well, is. I, oh. Amazing. I mean, yeah. And I think, I think part of it is just the pathways of, of how your mind processes it. You know, you're able to kind of pull that curtain for, you know, the number of times I've heard people say, like, I, um, a, a great story where, where this guy was telling me, he goes, you know, I showed up on the scene, guy got hit by a, um, by a, literally hit by a train. He was like, just, body parts all over the place we're picking this guy up. he goes it wasn't he goes i helped i picked up picked up pieces put it he goes it wasn't until i started to walk away that someone said do you realize that was so-and-so and it was someone he knew oh and he yeah. said you know i just went in like like you said robot mode to just get it done um and it's i i think it's just it is incredibly adaptive and until it's not. Well, it's not. Um, and I think if you believe, I think the pro- what what scares me most is when I hear someone that says nothing ever bothers them. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. it takes about two scratches before they start going, okay, wait a minute. I mean, the number of times I've been pulled aside after after talking about something or after, you know, it, that having this kind of, kind of conversation where someone goes, you know, actually, and it, it's it's not far before below the surface when people stop to think about it um and so they have to be careful when they stop and think about it but that's where i think it comes back to like the thoughtful rumination it's not this maladaptive rumination and intrusive thoughts it's this you can't pretend like it like nothing ever bothers you you know because it because it does should that be training should that be implemented Uh, should that be implemented in training because you know like in the academies we got young impressionable kids coming through the academy, and you know they're they're to they're being trained like robots. So, yeah. should we be putting that in? Um, should we put be putting that in a training program to say, hey, it's it's okay? I personally think so. I think the training program is important, but the other piece that I think is so important is really ta- walking the walk and talking the talk. You know, if you have a young a young firefighter that comes in is in training and you're like, you know, you're going to have these experiences. You have to process what's going on. You know, this is how you build resilience. But then they go into a firehouse where the 30 year captain is like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> keep, keep yeah. your mouth shut. You know what I mean? Like I, 
then it's not going to, um, then it's not going to work. And, and that's where I do think like the peer. So we, we did a study where we looked at um, kind of more of a peer approach that it was using the National Fallen Firefighter Stress First Aid Intervention, but a lot of the departments also had the um, IFF peer training that, that they developed, which is fantastic. Um, but the focus really being on not, uh, you know, let's show up and fix it once it's broken, but how do we all work together? Like, we do know that there's so much for the, at the risk of sounding like touchy-feely hokey, there's so much that is healing around the kitchen table and, and just having those conversations yes. and paying attention to each other because you are the worst judge of your own mental health, really. I mean, you've got to be usually pretty far gone before you go, oh, wait, I'm not yeah. myself. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so I think that having the types of trainings where people feel like it's okay when they start noticing, like, hey, why is – you know, why is Frank such an asshole lately? Like, <laughs> that they can go up and go, hey, you've been more of an asshole lately than usual. Like, what are you, you know, what's up? Um, and I don't, you know, I think sometimes it gets to the point, especially if it's not managed kind of along the way that, and then there are those instances where it is to the point where, you know, you absolutely need professional help. And we know that there are treatments that are really effective. Um, so, so use them because I, you know, you wouldn't tell someone not to take their blood pressure medication and that's right. how the, you know, mm -hmm. the treatments are retraining your brain, um, rewiring it. But I think those types of, you know, I think it does have to be for lack of a better word, a culture shift within a department and within a crew that, you know, we all understand that some of the stuff's going to bother you. And just like a, you know, a dirty gear and a black helmet 20 years ago was acceptable. Now that doesn't, that's not impressive because right. you're just right. being stupid. So right. I think we have to do the same thing around behavioral health where, you know, a stiff upper lip and you're fine, even though we all know and are denying the fact that you're drinking a case of beer every day off. Um, yeah, this I think is, that, you know, it's got, yeah, no, you're all, you're, uh, this is fascinating. We're going to, we're going to, I, I feel like I could do a whole nother hour. We're definitely going to have you back on the show. Uh, we got to uh, just wrap up today. So how can people find you? Where do you spend most of your time? Facebook, Twitter? How can we How can we get in touch? Um, I am just learning the Twitter, so don't, you won't be too impressed with it. The Twitter? But, <laughs> the Twitter. Oh, I felt like an idiot when I had to ask my postdoc, can you teach me how to twit stuff? And he's like, it's tweet. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's what I meant. So now I'm not sounding young, am I? Um, but I am on Twitter, and I put – so my um, handle, right, my mm -hmm. at is Sarah Ann, S-A-R-A-A-N-N-E-71. And so I put up um, – every once in a while I put some stuff about my kids or my – three-year-old has Down syndrome, so I'll tweet stuff about Down syndrome awareness, but uh, a lot of the other stuff I do is fire stuff, so that's probably the best place. We have our Center for Fire Rescue and EMS Health Research also has a Facebook page, so those are probably the two best ways. All right. Well, Sarah, thank you so much for joining in and taking the time yeah. to uh, discuss this. We are going to be hosting a Zoom Mental Health Monday uh, meeting on uh, Monday, this coming Monday. <laughs> this coming Monday. If you if you care to, we, we'll send you the link. If you care to join in, if you have the time, awesome. you're more than welcome to uh, and share it with others around uh, in your profession if they want to. Um, it's a place where we can all collaborate and discuss and help the mental health of our first responders. Um, once again, stay so blessed, and uh, I appreciate everything you've done. And we'd like to get you into the studio one day, and uh, once this pandemic's over, yes, and, and really so sit much. and. Do this. All right. 
That sounds great. And thanks for all you guys do. That's it's just amazing. It's amazing that this is like you're making a difference. Well, well, thank you for thank that. You. Thank you very much. All right. Thank you, Sarah. We'll talk soon. Take Have care. Bye-bye. Bye. Stay sane. Bye. Bye. All right, man. That was Sarah uh, Jenkins. Doctor. 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 Sarah Jenkins. Um, with the cent, uh, the fire, she's the director and senior scientist of the center at the Center for Fire Rescue and EMS Health Research. Yes, check her out. Yes. Uh, I hate to cut you short, but we got to go. We are over our time limit as is. Once again, thank you for joining in on Mad Radio, making a difference Wednesday here on FBRN.us, uh, the Fishbowl Radio Network at Globe Life Field. Check us out every Wednesday between six and seven. We're going to be making a difference with you uh, here in the Fishbowl, um, and join us on Monday for our Zoom call. Until then, be blessed. Bye, everybody.